Hey guys, this is the Vertical Guidance Podcast. I'm Wai Fink. And I'm Alex Stanger. And we're interviewing pilots from around the industry about their flight training experiences. And our goal is to make getting into the aviation industry easier by offering advice to people that are right on the edge of beginning their aviation journey. So let's get into it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Today on the Vertical Guidance Podcast, we have Emmy and Abby. They are a old CFI and student combo. Welcome onto the podcast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having us. So what are some of your guys' qualifications? Like where you at in aviation and um, training and other things like that? Uh, so I'm a senior right now at UND. Um, I'm a double major doing unmanned aircraft systems and air traffic control. I'm also part of the honors program. Um, for the UAS major, I had to get my private pilot license. And then I also went up through my instrument rating and I stopped there um and then i'm from st louis missouri but it's been a while since i've been back cool uh thanks emmy how about you abby what where are you at in aviation yeah um i'm abby i'm from seattle i live in denver right now i'm a skywest crj fo um i've been at skywest for two years now and i was 18 and i did aviation management and commercial aviation Okay, sweet. What got you into aviation, Abby? Yeah, um, I went to an, actually, it's kind of weird. I went to an aviation-themed high school, so I was really lucky to get exposed to it. So I took some aviation classes while I was there. Like, I took private pilot ground school, and I was able to do, like, air, kind of, like engineering classes and stuff like that. And I thought I wanted to be an engineer for that whole time. And then I took AP Calculus, and I decided I did not want to do that anymore. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so I went on an intro flight um, in Seattle through a program to get girls and girls more into aviation, and I loved it. So I just I went for that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what what uh so aviation high school was there like private pilot stuff there? Or was it just like they had classes for aviation? It was a normal high school or what? Yeah, it was a normal high school, but kind of like our elective classes were a little bit different. So like aerospace engineering, or we had classes on CAD or astronomy, kind of just more like science and STEM-based things. And like in our English classes, we would write essays about space instead of maybe some other things that like a different high school maybe we write classes on. Okay. So do you have any like family in aviation or did you just kind of, were you born to be a pilot? <laughs> yeah, I'm the only one in my family who's in aviation, so I kind of just had to go for it. It worked out. I love it. Yeah, it, awesome. seemed like, it seemed like it worked out. You're at SkyWest right now. That's awesome. How yeah. about you, Emmy? What was uh, kind of your way into aviation? Um, so I didn't know anything about aviation before coming to UND, except that I wanted to do it. Um, so when I was 16, I went to the airport to pick up my parents from a vacation, and I looked up at the air traffic control tower and I was like, who are those people that work in there? Like, what do they do? And I looked into it and I did a lot of research and I found out UND was the best school for ATC and I did a tour and at the tour, I decided to go to UND. So here I am. And did you have anybody in aviation in your family? Um, my uncle was really in the top gun, but that's about it. It's enough, I guess. So your uncle is literally like, like a... Top Gun fighter pilot? 
No, he just watched the movie a lot. He does construction. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> Basically, the same I mean that's thing. that's still a good movie. So, um, you guys are obviously uh, CFI and student. Uh, when were you guys CFI and student? Which one was CFI? Which one student? Just cleared up with everybody. So I was the student. That was in one hundred and two. Uh, that was the fall, and then led into the spring. Uh, so fall of twenty eighteen, spring of twenty nineteen. Okay. So, um, obviously you guys, uh, keep a touch here and there and you guys kept a professional relationship as a student at CFI. How were you able to do that? And how were you able to stay on track with that? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think back to being, to being a CFI. Um, I think the better that, you know, your student, of course, there's some lines that you don't want to I go past, but I think the better that you can, you can try and help them. I think everyone's been in that kind of experience where you might have a, a flight instructor that you kind of don't click with, you don't bond with, and maybe you're not being totally honest with them. I've had instructors be like, oh, do you get it? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I get that. And then I go look it up later on my own because I feel like that kind of like, like your relationship wasn't there. So I think it's important to obviously have a professional relationship, but also try and get to know your student as well. Like, I think when, after Emmy and Emmy and I would do our kind of pre-briefing for our lesson, I th- we would like talk about stuff while we're waiting for the plane. Like, what are you doing this weekend? What's going on? This kind of stuff like that. How's your life going? And I think it kind of adds to the whole experience and makes it more fun for everyone involved too. I totally yeah. agree with that. Oh, sorry, Emmy, you can go. Oh, I feel like there's a spectrum from like talking to all my other friends. Like you could go from just absolutely butting heads with your CFI at any moment to like being completely best friends with them after your flight course is over. Um, I mean, there's always a happy medium and stuff like that, but it's like, if you don't um, kind of respect your CFI, you're not going to learn very much. So you need to kind of uh, figure out how to make it work or else it's just not going to work out. So you guys made it work by okay. keeping like a personal level, but also professional kind of. Yeah, like you know them, but you also don't want to cross that line. Like when I was a student, I I had some of my friends who were CFIs do coverage flights for me here and there. And I probably learned about 20% as much as I could have if I was with a different CFI, just because you're kind of having fun. It's kind of like that a little bit of a awkward thing where that if you're really good friends with someone and they're your instructor sometimes it's kind of like you don't want to hurt their feelings or step on their toes and so you're gonna just have to be mindful of that yeah sometimes there's like a conflict of interest if you're like two two good friends um but then on the opposite end it's like I've had CFIs where our personalities just didn't match up quite the right way so sometimes if you have a question you feel awkward asking them so then you're just kind of stuck in this loop of you're not meeting your CFI's expectations, but you're too afraid to ask what they expect. I definitely agree that there's like that. Um, Abby, I don't know if you know, I've just started flight instructing um, pretty recently, but it seems like there is kind of like a certain right little vibe that you gotta roll the line between. Um, because if you were to get to know your student too well, then it like it would be pretty hard to train them, I would think, just because it'd be almost a lack of respect, but you also want to know them just enough to where they feel comfortable talking to you. Because like when I ask a student, I just had to tell this to a guy um, like a few days ago, I was like, 
if I, when I ask you if you are understanding and comprehending what I'm saying and you say yes I'm going to assume that you actually know what I'm talking about as opposed to like like I you need to be able to tell me that you don't understand what I'm saying so I know that I can teach it to you so I just think that was uh that's like an interesting like professional relationship that you can have with your CFI yeah, I've also had, I feel like I've had students who also did not respect me as well. And I could even just tell, like, their learning goes down way lower than the people that my students, who I think, did. So I think it just, it, I think it's, it's so much more involved and complex than you think than when you first go, start going to be a CFI. Like, the personal skills on being a CFI are way higher than I thought ever before I started. Yeah, I definitely agree. <laughs> It's a pretty interesting thing that, uh, it's a pretty interesting learning curve. It's, uh, it's pretty steep. <laughs> so Abby, with like the people that didn't like respect you in a certain way, how do you gain that kind of respect back from a student? Like, is that able, are you able to get that? Or is it kind of like a first impression kind of thing? I think it's kind of, it kind of depends on the students. Like I had, I'm trying to think how to say it. I had a student, which is fine. I just don't think he liked me. That's totally fine. You don't get along with all your flight instructors. And um, I would, would try and say, how about we do it this way? But as a flight instructor who does this eight hours a day, I kind of know that's not going to work out that way. So it's kind of like, no, that's not going to work. Then they keep pushing back. And in that situation, it was kind of, it got to the point eventually where like, okay, this is not going to work. But I also had it with other students where you kind of get that kind of that vibe that they're just not really sure about you. But then I think you just have to just kind of just like keep going, show them that you know, that you know your stuff, that you're knowledgeable, that you have the information and that you care. I think that's the biggest thing is just showing that you're seeing that you care about them, that you care about their success. And I think that eventually does come across and it comes across well. Yeah. And you probably let them push the boundaries a little bit where they, get to see oh if I know this like oh and then they go try it and they mess up then they start to trust you a little more actually realize that you're here to train them so it's all about building that kind of layer of trust <laughs> yeah, yeah I've been a UAS CFI well it's not really a certified flight instructor but um for the last year um and i've had about 20 students so far and i mean it's nowhere near the scale of being in a flying piece of metal with someone that you don't know but um during the first briefing i am always like yeah i'm a junior or i'm a senior um and to see the look on their faces when they're like oh this person is either the same grade as me or older or younger than me is they seem a little bit like distrustful um at first but then you just got to kind of work on that with them and kind of show them that you know what you're doing. I would say also something I think that's important as an instructor to earn that respect is you can to admit your mistakes too. No one's perfect. I've taught people stuff wrong before and I realized it and I went back and fixed it and I they ended up passing doing just fine and I even had a student say just like thanks for coming back not just doing that and moving on but like just being honest with me. So I think that really speaks I've had instructors um, tell me things that I'm like, I don't think that's right. But if they kind of own up to that, I think that speaks a lot to the flight instructor. Just considering that a lot of our um, listeners are like UND freshmen, I think a good, a good 
piece of advice to get out of this would be to respect your flight instructors and they probably might know more than you. Uh, just throwing that <laughs> out there. <laughs> probably. <laughs> With uh, getting into aviation, I know you both are female, so it's a very male-driven kind of industry. What different advice would you guys have for women getting into aviation, women in aviation? Yeah, I wrote down a few things before I got here to think about it because it's just, oh my gosh, it's so complex. But mm. I think the biggest thing is to, I know it's, it's I think it's kind of hard to accept when you're in that position, but know that you belong there. When I showed up at UND, I, I would be like the only girl in my class all the time. Too, there's two or the three of us, and it's uncomfortable. I mean, anyone's uncomfortable if you're one out of thirty or one out of fifty or three out of all the people in that class, but, and it's awkward. Like even when I went to airline training, um, sometimes, so there's, there's a lot of memory aids in aviation, right? And sometimes a lot of them can be kind of um, inappropriate if I can say. So like I'll be in class and then and maybe an instructor will be like, oh, well, I guess we can't say it that way because we have some people in the room that kind of look at you. And it kind of makes you feel uncomfortable and out of place. But I think it's just important to know that you do belong there and, um, it's okay to feel uncomfortable, but it does get better and you get better with being uncomfortable too. Yeah. Like I, right now I'm taking a class and I'm the only, I'm the only woman in it. Um, it's a UAS class and, um, the ATC department has actually got a lot more females than just commercial aviation or UAS right now. Um, but even last semester I was a teaching assistant in an ATC class there were 16 kids and only one girl. Um, it never really became an issue, but it's just kind of always in the back of your mind a little bit. Um, and then like, I've had a couple interactions with a couple different people um, and it's just kind of minor, but someone will like start to like cuss or something like that. And then they'll stop themselves because they like, look at, they look at me and they're like, oh wait, I'm so sorry, pardon my French. And it's like, you don't have to treat me so differently just cause I'm a girl. Like, Yeah, I see what you mean though. That's got to be difficult, especially going in, like being the only person and like kind of feel not like out of place, but like just the only chick there, you know? Yeah, it can be really awkward, but also along those lines, don't be afraid. Of course, you have to like pick, pick your battles, but don't be afraid to call inappropriate behavior either. Because sometimes it goes kind of, it does cross the line. I think it's, I never came across this in college, but more on the airline level, just when a lot of people are older or like ex-military, they're used to kind of being around that. But there are things that are appropriate for the workplace and things that aren't. So don't be afraid to call it out if it needs to be called out. And if you had to do that before, Abby? Um, I personally haven't, but I'm on a lot of just social media aviation pages. And some of the stuff I read on there, sometimes you're it's kind of shocking. You're like, oh my gosh, people actually do this. And they're kind of like talking, like, do I call them out and be labeled as that girl who like, you know, can't hang? or <laughs> just yeah. deal with it. but so I just have to make those choices but sometimes you just you have to do it I guess uh, that would just seem to be that would be such a tough call to make uh, and like such a male-dominated um, field just be known as that person but I feel like if you do it do you think you would have respect from a majority of guys if you were to like pull one of those cards or like is it I don't know it's a, like a weird question I think I understand what you're saying. It is, it's so complex. And I think it just depends on who's in the room. That's for sure. Um, 
I think a lot of the newer generation of pilots, they're great. I think everyone is getting a lot better about it, but sometimes with people who are a little bit older, who are used to being more in a male dominated, like ground schools and stuff, it can be a little bit more tricky. But I think for the most part, I think that if it's warranted, I think you, you would get respect for it. Yeah, I've definitely heard uh, people I've been around make very off-color comments when they see that they've been assigned a female stage pilot. And it's like, come on, you really don't need to say things like that. Um, and even in the ATC program, um, there was one instance um, that everybody kind of knows about. Uh, my friend was asking for help from a professor uh, in class. And just because, you know, you're in a class, it's the time to ask questions. And there was one guy in the class who thought that it was okay to say, this is the exact quote, don't worry about not understanding, you won't be here for much longer. Uh, in that case, it was very helpful that the professor was standing right there and he did not take that. He had a conversation with the student, which was very uh, encouraging for a lot of the girls to see in the class because it made us just feel like the professors were okay calling people out for that. Jeez. Yeah, that's crazy. Another thing, don't go up like, avoid Facebook posts. Those people are crazy on there. Like, <laughs> but like, it's kind of hard sometimes not to let it get to you. But I think if, if you are honestly trying your best and working your best and doing everything that you can, you deserve to be there. It doesn't matter what other people think. I think that applies to everyone. That does. That does. That's very true. I was always kind of curious too, because a lot of uh, people that also go on to airlines and stuff are older people do you ever have people look at you and they're like wow or like stuff like that because I've definitely heard stories about also customers being very um, mean in certain ways yeah I've been really lucky I've also I've actually only had positive responses from passengers oh, like when awesome. I yeah like when I've had an all-female crew before I've had this one guy say oh wow I'm only flying United now like stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> but so for the most part everything's been good um I've had some friends get some comments about looking young but I think a lot of people get that where it's kind of like how old are you and it's like well my mom said I can stay out as long as I'm back by, like by my bedtime and stuff like that <laughs> I can't <laughs> take the night flights <laughs> yeah so I've people comments about your age and I'm more encouraging about your gender I haven't seen anything negative from passengers yet okay so how do you think, because I know, I don't know the stats behind how many women are in aviation and other stuff, but I know it's very low. How Glad you asked. Yeah, you I got that, Emmy? I do. <laughs> so which, which number would you like? Give me them all. All of them. All, <laughs> all right. of them. So all, the percent of all pilots, including student pilots to ATP, 8.4% are, are female. 6.6% are private pilots, uh, 4.6% are of ATP pilots are women, and 1.5% of all airline captains are women, and that's from the uh, Women in Aviation website. Um, and then slightly different uh, for drone pilots, 7.2%, uh, which is actually a pretty good number compared to the others, and then for ATC, it's actually 167 So Impressive. surprisingly, that's the one that's furthest along. Interesting. So do you think it's so low because of, you know, earlier in like 60s, 70s, 80s, it was just men. So women are starting to get into aviation or is there still like kind of 
Cause I know it's in classes, like we're the new pilots. There's only like one or two women in there. Like why, what needs to change? I it's, it, again, this is so complex, but I think it is going to get better with just having more representation. So when I didn't fly very much as a kid, but I don't think I ever saw a female pilot. And I think sometimes we just need that to see that kind of that image in our head to click. Like when you watch movies, you don't see female pilot. You don't. So it's not really common out there. But now that it's becoming more common, you can see that the number of student pilots and female pilots are starting to increase. And I think a lot of it has to do with just being able to see people like that. Or like my best friend in college, she when she was in high school, she told her grandma she wanted to be a flight attendant. And she and her grandma said, why don't you try and be a pilot? And she just, she just kind of realized at that moment that it just kind of clicked for her. Like, oh, she could do that. She just hasn't seen it before. I feel like it's also kind of a culture thing. Like every, I know it's probably not as prevalent as it used to be, but everybody's heard stories about like the culture around that kind of thing. And honestly, if you're like a kid deciding your career, you're going to think, why do I want to work in that environment? Yeah, I agree. And it can be kind of, I don't know. It can, when you watch like the big movies, like Top Gun and other things like that, it's all male, all that. So like, I don't really see how female could be like, oh, I want to do that when it's all dudes, you know? So I, I could definitely see that culture piece of it. So yeah. what do you guys think? Oh, sorry. I don't want to cut you off, Abby. Oh, sorry. I miss, I was just going to say I'm excited that the numbers are starting to get a little bit better. I see Denver in Denver female pilots all the time, and it's really great to see. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so, like, is there anything that we could do um, as, like, young people, I guess you could say we are, um, to help encourage to have more women in aviation? Yeah, I think kind of like what Emmy and I were talking about earlier, call out inappropriate behavior when you see it. If something, like, of course, pick your battles, but if something's really bad and it's not warranted, you can just say, like, hey, that's not cool. Like, that's really easy to say. Or if you guys are volunteering or, like, even doing this podcast, having female aviators on the podcast is kind of showing that there are more people out there. I think it's also like small things like sometimes you just don't really think about it like up until this semester I was the only uh, female UAS uh, flight instructor and then I was like I was talking to some of my female friends that were in the major and I was like hey you should apply this semester and they're like oh I hadn't thought about that but I'll apply and so now there's two more females this semester which is pretty nice. Is there any any uh, like other tips of advice that you would like to give uh, like women that are or like any girls that are just studying their aviation careers at all? Yeah. Um, I think you should find a, a group of girls in your field that you can relate to. Like women in aviation at, at UND is great. I made a lot of friends through that. And like people that you can just relate to and like people who will understand some like the little things that you go through in aviation. And also, um, this is kind of like just in general, but you don't have to listen to everyone's advice. I remember I was always very overwhelmed by this because pilots are very opinionate, like opinionated. And so you don't have to listen to everyone. You can just kind of listen here and there, say thank you, move on. You don't have to listen to everything. Uh, yeah, we weren't, like we were talking to Emmy before and we weren't sure if you were in the uh, Women in Aviation Club or not, but I think that's that's gotta be like a perfect place um, just to make sure that you're always like a grounded and can go to people. Um, with pretty much anything right 
yeah, it's, it was really great. And I have friends from it still. Like I was talking to my friend earlier today about some things to talk on, about on this podcast later. So it's just really a great group of people to get to know and to kind of bounce ideas off of even past college too. So I don't know too much about women aviation. Could you go more into like depth or you guys just meet like once a week and hang out or is there like fundraisers you go out and talk to women and try to get them into aviation or what? Yeah, I think we would, oh my gosh, it's been so long. I feel so old now, but I think we would meet once a month and we would also have different events throughout the year. Like we did, I think girls in aviation day. So we would get girls in the community to come out to the school and what we would go just talk about being different aviation careers with them. Um, there's also did little different meetings. Like I think we used to do pumpkin carving in the fall all together, just to kind of just like bond and get to know each other. Um, I mean, at least currently, I know that they do like, I think weekly meetings, just the standard student org stuff. And then I know um, SATCA, the ATC club is partnering with them this month uh, to go to Flying Cloud and volunteer for Girls in Aviation Day. Yeah, so like kind of transitioning a little bit, this is kind of more geared towards um, Abby, but like from your training at UND, how did you set yourself up for success at the airlines and to get yourself hired? Yeah, um, I think UND prepares you so well to go to regional training. Um, training actually wasn't that bad after going through like the CRJ course that UND and all our systems classes and stuff. Um, they, they prepare you super well. There's some different things that you can do. Um, definitely join clubs. Clubs have guest speakers a lot from the airlines. I know that, oh my gosh, I, I think I don't remember what club it is, but they have an airline come in like once a month and they do a presentation on it. If that, if they're still around, it was, I don't know if it was airline pilots association or I don't remember yeah, I think what Alpha it was. A sounds, I think that's what it was. Yeah. That would be a great one to join because you're probably talking to the airline recruiters and getting to know them. Um, let's see. Another great thing you could do is have you guys heard of professional pilots of tomorrow? I have I've, not. I've heard of it. I don't know anything about it though. Yeah, I'm a mentor in it. And what it is, it's that it's just a mentor organization where you can sign up as a student pilot, private, anywhere in your flight training. And you'll get partnered with, with an airline pilot who can help you and kind of mentor you get to, your, get to where you want to be in your career. And that, so that is a great opportunity to have. I didn't do it as a student, but I wish I would have had that. Well, that sounds awesome. It's really cool that you're giving back um, from where you are now. So you're a mentor at UND. So you're, are you still involved with like a lot of UND students? Um, so it's not with the, it's not with UND. It's more for like, okay. just, I think it's, I don't know if it's just the U S or if it's around the world, but, um, but not, not too much with UND anymore. I have my old students on Instagram and stuff. I'll follow them and stuff, but <laughs> I see Emmy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, with, uh, you said the training through you're at sky West, correct? Yes. And then you're flying the CRJ. So you found that like 485 and 428 to the transcat and the CRJ course helped out a lot going through that training. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, like my, my simulator partner, she did great in training, but it was so nice just like a jet simulator before you even get there because stuff moves so fast and it was way faster than it used to but if you've already got a little taste of it and seen it 
um, you're good to go. You know where the buttons are. So before you go to training or when you're at training and you're looking over your checklist, you know where the things are because otherwise you're just staring at this little poster like, what does that say? So <laughs> it was really nice to have that and it made training a lot easier. So going from like a, a Piper Archer going like 90 knots to a CRJ going a lot of, I don't know what speed would come in for like approaches and other things like that. Was it a big change or did you feel prepared for it? Um, it definitely was a big change, but like I said, I think this really prepared, prepared me and helped, um, kind of like a common approach speed is like 140, 135, somewhere in there. So it's a lot faster. Everything just looks faster. Um, but just kind of getting those, like, even just the checklist in the simulator that we practice when you're at UND, just kind of gets your brain moving. Um, cause you have to think about, like if you have an engine failure in a, in a jet and you're running through your checklist, you can go really far by the time you get your checklist done. And then you're like 50 miles from the airport and you have to come all the way back. So it's just like all those little things that you have to think about that you didn't really have to think about too much when you're in a small plane. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely really interesting. I can't imagine just having an engine failure and Ending up a hundred miles away. That'd be, that'd be a bummer. Basically ended up in Fargo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did that in training and we were like, Oh, this just happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh <Right>. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So did you do, um, any programs to get into like, uh, uh, sky West? Do you just apply for it? And then anything like that? I did do the SkyWest Cadet program, which I'd recommend to everyone. Even if you're not 100% sure on SkyWest, you can still apply to it. All it does, it, it just, you go to it like kind of like an HR introduction to SkyWest. And also your sonority number for your health insurance and different bonus pay bonuses that we get will start from that, from that SkyWest Cadet date. So I wish I would have done it way earlier than I did because I would have been receiving the different like financial bonuses that we get a year earlier than I than I would have right now. Oh, that's interesting. I was thinking about applying to that. Oh, you should. I so should get on that. <laughs> is there like an application online for that and you just fill it out and then they just do like an online interview or do you know, what was like the process for you? Yeah, so you just fill out an application. I don't think there's even an interview and then they'll schedule you to come out to Salt Lake City. They'll fly you out there. And you'll go through the meetings. I don't know what they're doing with COVID with that or if it's changed at all. But um, And also applying for that program is not a commitment. It doesn't mean you're going to SkyWest. So it's just a really good opportunity to get to know an airline. Yeah, and you get that seniority number for those certain benefits and stuff. That's huge. <laughs> That's what it's all about. It's all about getting that yeah. seniority. Your flight benefits go off of that number. So even if, like, I've been at SkyBus for two years, if I would have done it two years earlier, I'd be a four-year seniority for getting flights. So I'd, it, that, that's a lot when you're trying to non-rev. <laughs> Do you non-rev to where you go for, uh, are you based where you uh, live? I am, yeah. Denver is the junior base at SkyWest right now, and I do live here. Okay. Do you I, like living in Denver? I love it. Like, I'm from Seattle. It never rains in Denver, which I really appreciate after living in <laughs> And after uh, living in Alaska, I appreciate the mountains as well. <laughs> true. It's not raining 365 days out of the year in Denver. 
on yeah. like Seattle. <laughs> oh my gosh. So what, like, uh, going from sky West, I know they have like a lot of like different avenues to go through. Um, what kind of Avenue are you looking for right now? Like, do you have an end goal or are you just kind of going with the flow? Um, I definitely want to go to a major airline. I would go to, I think Delta or United. So just trying to get there, doing my best, getting my flight time and trying to learn what I can before upgrade. Okay. And then, so from where are like the hour requirements and then do you become a captain, build more hours and then go to United or you build hours as like an FO and then go to, I don't know like how that all works for hours and other requirements. Sure. So, um, it just kind of depends. The most common route to do is to just be a first officer. And if you have restricted ATP going in with a thousand, you need 2,500 hours to be a captain at SkyWest. So you just need to build that experience. And once you feel ready, you can put your upgrade bid in, be a captain and start building your PIC turbine time, which I think is what the majors really want to see. And then once you kind of start meeting whatever the, whatever the majors want, they'll hopefully start calling you. <laughs> and are, are many people getting called up right now? I know they've been hiring like mad for regionals. Are they hiring like mad for the legacy airlines also? I've flown with quite a few captains recently who have been going to um, airline training at the majors. I think a lot of them were pe people who got class dates last year during COVID and it got canceled and now they're getting called back. But I've been hearing a lot of people start getting calls from United and start getting their interviews set up. So it's definitely looking up now. Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's good news. So Emmy, I'm sorry, we haven't heard you from you for a while, <laughs> but um, what does, and so you said you're like a double major ATC and UAS. Um, we talked about UAS briefly, but what does like an ATC major look like at UND? And then uh, how does that set you up for success at the FAA ATC Academy? that's what how what it's called <laughs> yeah it's the academy so um the atc major is based heavily on what they teach at the academy but even more so that they und is training you to be way better than what they're ever going to test you on at the academy so the hardest scenario you ever, you're ever going to do compared to the hardest scenario you're going to do at the academy it's going to be like 10 percent less or like 90 percent less effort than you thought you were going to give um I've heard stories of some ATC grads from UND um, finishing the academy early. Like the FAA was just like, hey, you're you're too good to be here. We're going to ship you off early. Um, so every semester, even they're changing courses and stuff to more align with uh, the current practices there. Um, so it's a four year degree. Um, a lot of my friends do it in three years. Unfortunately, they graduated before me, but that's the way it goes. Um, so. We have a bunch of uh, labs. They're actually getting upgraded. Uh, first upgrade is coming in December. Um, so you're kind of going through different levels. So you, everybody has to take intro to air traffic control. I'm sure everybody here did. Um, and then there it goes tower one, radar one. And then there's a second level and then a third level. And then a couple extra courses like non radar and en route. Um, so you learn basically every single part of air traffic control. Um, so after you graduate, um, you get a special letter signed off by an ATC professor saying um, this person completed the CTI program, um, which is what UND is that allows us to get hired in a separate uh, 
um, pool at the academy. Um, so ADC people not only have a higher level of knowledge, but they have a better chance of getting hired. Um, so twice a year, the FAA puts out this bid um, to go to the academy, uh, depending on if you have your UND ATC degree, uh, you will have a better chance of getting in. And then you take this, uh, it's called the ATSA test. It's basically like an aptitude test for how good you are um, with just like con conceptual stuff. Um, and then if you do well on that, then they give you a class date, assuming you've passed your medical stuff. Um, after your class date, you are given a list of facilities and you're told, pick something off this list. We'll see you there next week. Um, and then you are, you've made it basically. So as long as you don't wash out of training, that's your new life. And then after a couple of years, you have the option to kind of move around to different facilities across the country um, and see what you like. So with that bid process, is it like kind of like you send it in, you're just like, hey, I'm from UND, this is like my resume, and then they accept you in, and then you have to go through training? Or is it like kind of first come, first serve? What's like bid process like? So they actually just opened one in July uh, that I applied for. They only opened it up for a couple days. Um, Basically, you're just submitting your resume, stuff for a background check, just to make sure you're a real person. And then you either let them know that you have your four-year degree or if you're off the street. Um, if you're just off the street, meaning you don't have any official ATC experience, um, you go into a different uh, kind of set of hiring processes. I mean, they're pretty similar. just one, you have a better chance of getting in. So with uh, the UND four-year degree, does it make it worth it rather than just coming off the street and trying to do your own self-studying? Yeah. So the biggest difference people have said is when you're actually at your facility or at the academy, because everyone else in your class, this is their very first time seeing all this stuff. Like even say you're a freshman at UND and you've never flown a plane before. It's like going into 102, but like every test is a chance to get fired. If you fail a test, you're out and you don't have a second chance. So, of course, everybody at UND's already seen everything. Um, so they have a really good chance of making it all the way through. Wow, those tests sound like a blast. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds big, scary. So um, with UND, what kind of uh, like with air, like aerospace for commercial aviation, we have airplanes fly around. Do you guys... Uh, there's probably a misconception that you guys sit at like Grand Forks Tower and call people in. Like, what do you guys do for training? Um, so the training is basically what, um, I mean, simplified, if you remember 103, um, everybody puts on a headset, you go in the simulator, whether it's the radar or um, a tower, um, and they run a simulation. So there's actual people pretending to be pilots on the other side. Um, so you're essentially you are doing the same exact thing you would be in real life. It's just whether or not the pilots are actually flying a plane. Yeah. They could probably do more scenario based stuff rather than just uh, green Sioux call signs coming in going the wrong way down the, <laughs> the downwind. <laughs> well, the nice thing about uh, the simulators is that they're very changeable. So if a professor really wanted to, <laughs> throw students a curveball, they could literally just put that in. They can program anything into the simulators. Um, do you guys have um, anything else that you, we would, uh, you'd like to discuss? 
Well, do you have like a signature CFI story that you tell people? Yeah. Do you have, is there any like weird CFI stories that you have that uh, definitely you would like other CFIs or students to know? So it wasn't, doesn't happen again, or I guess that's might be confidential. No, I'm trying to think if my story would be like, I don't know. I guess it's not that bad. Um, so, so my last day as a flight instructor, I was, <laughs> I was out there. I was on the Seminole. Have you guys done, have you done 325? Yeah, I'm in 414 right now. Okay, awesome. So it was my last day. I was with one of my best students. He was great. I never had to worry about him. That's what gets you. You can't, that's where you get complacent. Yep. And you're practicing takeoff continues. And so I've never had this student ever make a mistake. I wasn't expecting it, but he hit the wrong rudder on the takeoff continued and he hit it hard. And that was kind of alarming that <laughs> it was kind of a lot. The plane just like yawed so much, obviously towards like the dead engine. And Oh no. So, so it was like, it ended up being fine. Everything was totally safe, but it was kind of like, like, Oh my gosh moment. So I think that was kind of like, I mean, it was my last day, but it was kind of an eye opener. Like yeah, your last, you, last hurrah at UND. You always have to be on it. 100%. Like you can't, I don't know how to say it. Like, <laughs> no, I understand. I mean, like I'm at like two, I'll probably end up with like 250 hours before I start flight instructing. Then that's what? Yeah. 750 hours of flight instructing. And I could see how like in all those hours, like being like ready to do something and then a student does it, you're ready, but there's no way that in that 750 hours, you're going to be like right there ready. Cause it's probably easy to get complacent. Oh my gosh. It's so easy. And especially with your, when you're with a student who is always really on top of it, that's almost the person you have to watch the most because you can't let yourself get complacent, which sure. I didn't I think until my last day. <laughs> well, you learned your lesson. <laughs> yeah, like in air traffic control, they're always like the, the most dangerous situation for a controller to be in is if they're not busy because then they stop paying attention. That is true. That's very true. But you guys got any last piece of advice for anybody going through? Abby? Um, show up to class. Yep. <laughs> Finance at eight in the morning on Fridays was a tough one, but I made it most of the time. <laughs> Yikes. That sounds terrible. But hey, thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day and going on to the Vertical Guidance Podcast. We really liked the information you guys had. Yeah, Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have any questions for us, DM us on Instagram at vertical underscore guidance. Thanks, guys. Thanks.